lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Well, good evening, my friends. It's good to be back. I took a Thanksgiving break last week, so you got a little break from me. And if you are still there, I'm glad you're back. Uh, My Thanksgiving was wonderful. I went to Atlanta to be with my family. It's the first time we've had Thanksgiving and dinner together in over 20 years. And it was worth the wait. It was wonderful. And I hope your Thanksgiving was good too. You know, somebody told me that Thanksgiving is a great holiday because there's no religious stuff that gets in the way. You know, if you have a a Jewish person who marries a non-Jewish person, what are they going to do in December? They're going to go celebrate Hanukkah, and a non-Jew ain't going to be happy. Or they're going to go to Christmas dinner, and a Jew ain't going to be happy. So Thanksgiving, we don't have to, it's not a religion thing. Thank God I said that on purpose. Okay, so let's get down to business. You're going to love this show, I promise, because my guest, his name is Dee Maltby, and she lives not too far from me in Salina, Colorado. Uh, And she's going to talk about her personal experience. But before she does, let me tell you something that you already know about me. I'm a very simple, naive, often, I believe in, you know, black and white. And it either is this way or it's not this way. And so far, it's been good for me. And then I read online that Ms. D. Maltby, Mrs. Thank You, uh, wrote a book called While I Was Out. And it's about her near-death experience. And the first thing I wanted to do was delete it because it gets in my way, you know? You're either alive or you're dead. I don't know about this near-death stuff, but... Dee is here tonight to tell us the story of her near-death experience and some of the things and lessons that she learned from it that can help us um, while we yet live. So I want to welcome you, Dee. It's good to have you on from morning to morning. Oh, Mel, thank you. There's a lot I'm so I'm so glad I met you. I I'm not even sure how we met or how you found me, but um, just listening to you talk, I guess you found me on the internet. <laughs> I I called four one one and I asked for the best near death experience person <laughs> in the country, and guess what? I got you. So well, I don't know if I'm the best one to talk to, but you got me. I got you. So let's start at the beginning, okay? Um, and as we we just met each other last night, people, 
We had a wonderful conversation. And as I said to Dee, I just want you to tell your story because it's such a phenomenal story. And I would wager to say that, you know, 98% of the people who are listening to us have not had a near-death experience. By the way, if you have had a near-death experience, I want to hear about it. Maybe I'll interview you one Thursday night. You never know. Rabbi Mel at at griefok.com. Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. At the end of the show, Dee will tell you how to get in touch with her if you would like to do that. So, Dee, I love that you're here, and I want to hear your story. So, go for it. Oh, wow. Okay. Start you um, want. We only have an hour, and I could no, I could literally talk for 10 hours on this. Um, basically, I think what happened to me is my life ended up going from a life of grief and a life of not knowing um, God, or at least not allowing a so-called God to come into me in whatever way, shape, or form, because I think I told you a little bit about my life circumstances yesterday. Um, So maybe I'll tell you a little bit about that, because then when I tell you about my experience, it kind of makes sense a little bit more. Um, Or it's always nice to know the person that's telling the story a little bit about their background. But um, I grew up in a Christian home, a middle-class Christian home, I am 64 years old, so I grew up back in the 50s, 60s, and I had a great mother and father. Um, I went to church. I learned about God. I learned about Jesus. I learned about religion. Uh, I didn't know how well I ever accepted it. I accepted it like a little kid accepts anything else. It was just there. My parents were teaching me things, and it was in my life. Well, when I was 10 years old, my life turned upside down, because until that time, the only thing that ever died in my life was my goldfish, and when I tried to stuff it back in the bowl, and my father couldn't make it come back to life, I was absolutely devastated, and that was probably my first touch of death until at the age of 10, and mind you, and I know we probably grew up in the same era, but we were pretty naive kids back then. You know, we didn't know the things that 10-year-olds know today. Um, anyway, when I was 10 years old, my father committed suicide. And he was, he was quite ill, and he actually shot himself, and I held him while he died. So that was my first taste of death, of grief, of whatever... Um, I guess, you know, your first real dose of growing up in reality when you're a kid. Anyway, my mother called in the minister, and he came to talk to us, and I remember him sitting me down and saying it was God's will and God's plan, and, you know, God had a better plan possibly for my dad, and I kept thinking, well, what kind of God is this? What kind of God takes away a little kid's, you know, dad? And nobody ever explained that to me. So... Especially being there when it happened, I had a great big hole in my soul. And I think at that point, I got mad at this so-called God. And then as I grew up a little bit more, 
You know, we're all told there's an Easter Bunny. We're told there's a Tooth Fairy. We're told there's um, Santa Claus. And sooner or later, we find out there isn't. And so I kind of felt the same way about God. You know, maybe there really wasn't one. But, of course, I was probably too afraid to ever not totally believe. But I shut myself off. Um, Fourteen years old, I have a first boyfriend, and as soon as he becomes my boyfriend, and I'm so thrilled, you know, I'm kind of coming into that stage of my life, and he was killed tragically in an accident. I go on into my college years, I meet someone, and he comes into my life, he kind of becomes my big brother, my mentor, the father I didn't have, uh, my best friend. And not too long after we had met, he was killed as well. Um, So now we're going to go another four years ahead, and I meet the man that I know I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And right before I left college to go home to be with him, I got a phone call. And, of course, he he was killed tragically, too. So I'm 24 years old. I've had four people that I've given my heart and my soul to in my life, and they've all been taken away from me. So I pretty much figured if there was a God out there, he didn't like me very much. Um, And so my life was really one of grief, even though I had a pretty good life, and everybody thought I was pretty happy and pretty jovial. I think underneath it all, and this will all tie into when I tell you about my near-death experience, but I ended up through that grief, I ended up thinking that I was unworthy, I was unlovable, and like I said, if there was a God, He must not love me, and if God couldn't love me, how could I love myself? And that permeated my whole entire life. But you know what? Nobody ever knew it because it was a silent disease that I carried inside myself. And anyway, going on into my life, by the time I became 57 years old, I think God upset the apple cart because in the middle of an absolutely normal day in my life, you know, um, I was in a very tragic accident And I was in a coma for 12 days. And during that 12 days, Mel, I was someplace else. My soul was someplace else. My consciousness was someplace else. The essence of me was no longer on this earth. And I know that. I know that with every ounce of my being. Were you away for 12 days or were there pieces of time where... You were just unconscious and comatose. No, No, I was, what happened was I was, my lungs were very badly contused. um, And so they had to put me on life support immediately. In fact, they didn't know if my lungs were basically going to heal themselves enough so that I could live because they can't give you lung transplants. So all they could do was keep me on life support, drain the fluids from me, uh, give me whatever medications they could, um, you know, to keep me to keep me under. <clears throat> 
But I remember when I first, I knew I was going to go into a coma because the doctor told me. And he said, we're going to put you in a coma. And I was like, okay. And I kept thinking, oh, I'll be awake by dinner time. And then, of course, then I'd have to explain what happened to the car to my husband. So I really wasn't looking forward to that part of it. But um, the first thing I did remember when I woke up was excruciating pain, just excruciating pain. In fact, I thought I was being ripped apart. I, I thought I still had a thought process, and I thought, well, maybe these people put me down in the basement in the hospital and they were doing something terrible to me, you know? Um, and at one point, I heard myself screaming, but I know it wasn't a physical scream. I know it was my soul screaming, and it was so... I'd never, I had never, ever, ever experienced such pain like that in my life, and so my soul blacked out. I just, my consciousness went... And the next thing, and I have no idea how long a time passed, but I woke up and I was surrounded by this very, very soft light. It was kind of golden in color. And now my thought process was like, wow, I don't hurt anymore. And I opened my eyes, but they were my inner eyes, not my physical eyes. But it was just like I could see, but all I could see was this golden color. And I tried looking around me, and I realized that all of a sudden, I'm looking around in 360-degree vision, and I'm looking up and down all around, and I became aware of the fact that I was not attached to my physical form. And... The thoughts that went through my head were like, whoa, you know, how did they do this? I remember thinking that, how did they do this? And then as I watched, because all around me, it was just this beautiful gold light, and it kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and it turned into this, like, saffron yellow, and... I'm just mesmerized by it all, and I remember thinking, well, maybe this is a new way that they heal people, because I knew that I'd been hurt. I didn't know how badly I'd been hurt. I just thought, well, wow, this is kind of cool. Did you hear people talking while you Never, never. And, you know, a lot of people that have near-death experiences... um, they either go through a tunnel or someone comes to get them or they meet someone in their experience. And for whatever reason, as my experience unfolded over those 12 days, I realized that my soul was being held. I didn't know what that meant because the longer I was in this space or this place that I was at, the less I had remembrance of physical life and of earthly life, if that makes any sense. Well, it doesn't, but I believe you. And at some point in time... I just don't understand. I understand what you're saying. I just, it's hard for me to fathom. Well, I I mean, quite honestly, and this is one reason that I've been sharing the past several years is because 
I've never had anything like this happen to me before. And, and I know even when I wrote my book, I was in tears the whole time because I thought people are going to think I'm nuts. People are going to think I'm crazy. But everything that transpired and what became of it and what happened and where I went and how my life evolved, it's just been gushing out of me ever since. And so I guess I'm just going with the flow because... I certainly found out through my near-death experience, and I'll get to that in a second, but I certainly found out that there definitely is something else out there, and you can call it God, you can call it Creator, I, I don't know, but at well, some point during my experience... You've already opened our eyes, even if yours were closed, you've already opened our eyes to a way different kind of experience than most of us, if not all of us, have ever lived, have ever experienced. And and that's, you know, I mean, I can't wait to hear the rest of this. Uh, but we have to take a break right now. So everybody hang on, because Dee is coming back, and she's got some more unbelievable stuff to share with us. So stick around. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Everybody, we're back. Uh, I am Rabbi Mel, and my guest tonight is Dee Maltby, who is telling us about her 
near-death experience. She, um, it's quite a fascinating, already just in the time that we've had, fascinating experience. And she explains it so well with words that are, that really help you understand what she has been going through. Okay, Dee, go ahead. Well, in the middle of my experience, and there were so many parts to it, and I just, I mean, like I said, I could take 10 hours just going through my experience itself. It wasn't a, a quick kind of a thing, um, and that I was able to get out in my book because, of course, I think my book pushed its way out of me with, with God's help, but... At some point in time in that experience, in my coma, and I don't know when it happened, I don't know how it unfolded, I just knew I was being held, I went through these colors that were a thousand times greater in intensity and vibrancy and everything else that we have here on Earth. Every color had its own vibration. It had its own sound. It had its own frequency. And I was, my soul was pulled through these colors. And I was like this little child, you know, kind of going on a ride going, wow. I just, I was mesmerized. And I had no idea where I was, but I knew I was safe. I was perfectly conscious. Um, and at some point in time, music came into all of those colors. It was like every single instrument that had ever been created was playing something, and you couldn't make it out what it was because it sounded like singing, it sounded like music, and it all morphed together, and it was, it was absolutely glorious. And that and the colors, and I was like, there are no words for where my mind was because I had never experienced anything like that before. And then at some point in time, and I don't know how it happened, but my awareness came to know that I was literally being held in the hand that created me. And I was there, I was there with my creator. My soul was with my creator. And I knew it. I knew it like a child knows its mother's breast. I was home. I was with the essence that created me. And the only words that were spoken to me, it was like, it was like, it was like a hand brushed across my face, only I didn't have a face. It brushed across the side of my soul, and the only words that were spoken to me at that time were just be. I don't know why, it was just the words just be, and I thought about that for a second, and for the first time in my life, I let myself go in the comfort that was surrounding me and the trust and the love that was all around me, and I let go. And I learned what it was like to just be. And when I did that, it was almost as if 
if the arm of God just opened up and a whole universe, it was like I was out in a universe of a million stars, a million trillion stars, and they were all shining and they were all different and they were all bright and they were all beautiful. But I also knew that they were alive and I realized they weren't stars, they were souls. They were beautiful souls and we were all connected. Were they calling you to them? No, I was just being shown this. I was I was I was being allowed to feel this. I was being allowed to feel the connection. And I was being allowed to feel the unconditional love that God had for my soul. And I remember at one point, because I had been in all these beautiful colors, probably the only really conscious thing that ever came to me in in the way of a cognitive thought was, where's the color white? You know, I had seen every color imaginable. And as soon as I thought that, the answer came to me, it is directly above the colors where you are being held. I will let you feel it, and I will let you see it, but you cannot go there. So maybe that was my boundary that I could not cross. See, I had, I had no idea. I, it never occurred to me that I was really in a coma, that I was dead, alive. All I knew is that my soul was with my Creator, and I was being held. That was all I needed to know. I had forgotten about my physical body. I had forgotten about, I had forgotten about the earth. In fact, when I did come back from my experience and I woke up out of my coma, my husband and my son were standing over the bed. And when my eyes first opened up, it was such a shock to me because I had kind of kind of been pushed back into my body somehow. And I remember my, my soul and my mind turned around because I so desperately wanted to go back to where I just came from. But there was a wall there, and I couldn't. I couldn't, and the only thing I could do was turn around. And I didn't know what I was looking at. I had literally forgotten what the human body looked like. And it wasn't until my son grabbed my hand, and I heard the words, I love you, Mom. And he smiled. And all I could see out of my eyes was the smile on his face, and his smile cracked his face and started turning upwards it cracked something in my soul it cracked something into my psyche and everything came flooding back and I knew that I was home you know here and from coming from that home where did you come from um I know I felt guilty after the experience was over because when I found out how desperately sick I had been, um, you know, from the accident or how injured I had, had been and how desperately everyone was so worried about me. And here I was, I was in the most beautiful place that I could have ever, ever imagined. And I had no thoughts 
of home. And I felt, I felt guilty about that for quite some time, but I, I think I realize now that once we leave here and go to there, it's not ours to turn around and worry. That's for God to take care of. And for somebody who never had a relationship with God, who had kept God at bay, my whole life now, through these past eight years, has become a relationship with God that I can't live without. I can't go through my day without it. Because in my accident, my lungs were crushed. My breaths were taken away from me. And yet, my life... My life was given back to me, and so were my breaths. So all I ever have to do now is take a deep breath, and I know where I came from, and I know who gave me life. So let me ask you a question, Dee. How, after having an experience like that, how could you, when you came back to this world, the existence, but how could you, I mean, how did it, how did it change you? How, okay, how well, let me tell you what happened, because there were several things that happened both over there and over here. The second night after I got home from the hospital, I'm very weak, I'm on oxygen, it took several months for my body to heal, but the second night that I was there, I got very, very tired, and I said, I want to go to bed, and my husband helped me to bed. He said, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. Well, apparently, I fell across the bed before I could even get under the covers, and from 8.30 that night until 4.30 in the morning, I guess you can call them dreams, but I was taken back, and I awoke, and they said... There was a nurse standing next to me in this dream, and she said, we're not done. There's something else that has to be done. And I was like, I was scared to death because I thought, well, I'm home. I'm better or I'm going to get better. What is going on? And I was taken into this room, and it was all a deep sapphire blue. Everything, even the nurse, I mean, everything. I could only discern that they were there, and there were doctors there, that they were at the foot of my bed, and everybody was waiting for something. And all of a sudden, the doctors parted at the end of the bed. Now, I can't see them because they're all this deep sapphire blue, and I'm scared, I'm petrified, because I know I'm in a dream but I, honest to God, I, this was just as real as my near-death experience. Anyway, the doctors parted, and all of a sudden, this glowing liquid that was about the height of the bed came in, and it started coming in through the bottoms of my feet. And it started filling up my legs, and I realized that the outer edges of this kind of gel-like liquid were sapphire blue, and it went into this most beautiful aqua crystalline color, and the center was this pure, pure, vivid white, the same white that I was allowed to experience. And it came in, and it came up my legs, it came up into my chest, 
and it filled my whole entire chest. And then everyone started looking up, and as they looked up, I looked up too because I thought, I know this is a dream, but what is happening? And as I looked up, the soft swirl of smoke came out of nowhere, and it came down, and it came all the way down, and it came into my breast. And as it did, my soul was immediately taken out of my body, and I was, I was literally inside of God looking at me, and I was feeling the love. I was experiencing the way God loved me unconditionally. And when I realized what was happening within a fraction of a second, I was back in my own body, and these arms came up around me, and they were hugging me. And I realized I was hugging myself. And the next words I heard, and these are the only words that I ever really heard, but it was, this is for you. This is the gift for you. It was the you you were always meant to be. And I realized I'd just been given the gift of self-love. That's how I've been changed. Because I spent my whole life... Not loving. Thinking there wasn't a God, that I wasn't loved if there was a God, and that I wasn't worthy enough to be loved. Because anything I ever loved was taken away from me. And here I got to experience God's love for me. And I still can't say it without crying. I apologize. And I'm not crying out of sadness. I'm crying because it's just so much bigger than I am. It was God's gift for what you lived through in the first piece of your life. Which you never expected to get, and you always expected that you were going to go through your life feeling unloved, uncared for, and God came, and you got the gift. I mean, this is truly a gift, and, and nobody will ever be able to tell you that you don't matter or that you're not loved, or that you're not cared about. Nobody. Nope. But it's a gift, and I, I'm i wondering, you know, how heavy that gift is on your shoulders. Well, one thing is, when things like this happen to you, you're dropped right back where you were. You know, you're dropped right back into the same life that you've had. Right. I have the same husband, I have the same workplace, I live in the same place, I have the same friends, I have all the same problems. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, things changed. Everything became miraculous in its own own right, in its own way. But I was still Dee, and I came back into Dee's body and into Dee's life, and I had to learn I knew that I was loved. I felt that loved. And right now, that's like a life preserver around my soul because I go through the ups and downs of daily life. 
And it's taken me these past, well, I just had my anniversary because I came out of my coma on November 29th, eight years ago. And so that's kind of my new birthday. I always, I always bless it as my new birthday. But I've, I've had eight years now of growing, of listening to God, of allowing God to direct my life, of knowing that I don't have a life without God. And, God, there's so many things I want to say, but it's, it's... Well, you know that about God. I mean, as we talked yesterday, I say that about God, that none of us has a life without God. But after listening to somebody, uh, to you tell your story, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel like a faker. Or anything like that, but I just, as I said yesterday, I'm not jealous, but sort of envious that I never got to have an experience like that. Now, having said well, that, this I'm is just, one thing that I wrote wrote in my book. Um, yeah. One of one of the lessons that I learned, and this is what we were just talking about. But I am a worthwhile human. Seconds till the break. And I do indeed have a purpose in the universe. And if I learn how to love others as I was being shown how to love myself, my earthly life will unfold as it should. And a human can do no more than this because that is our gift back to God. Amen. That is what I've learned. All right, we'll get back to that. we got to take a break. Friends, we'll be right back, Dee and I. So don't go anywhere because you can't leave. You know that already. You've heard too much of this story to leave. We'll be right back. Bye-bye. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hello, everybody. Rabbi Mel, we're back. Uh, Dee Maltby, um, who has just written. Dee, when did you write the book? I wrote the book... I think it was 2010. Okay. Um, yes, I believe it was, or it came so out in 2010 or 2011. I mean, your feelings were raw when you wrote that book, still. Well, I sat down at the computer. There was not a page of that book that I did not write through my tears. Right. And like I, I said during the break, I apologize for crying, but... It's not. It's not crying out of sadness. I've. I've had enough sadness in my life. I. When I talk about this now, I. I cry out of joy because. I am so full that I can't keep it inside of me. In fact, after my experience, I wanted to go running down the street, shaking people, going, "Oh my God, it's real! It's real!" I was. Yeah. I really but was. I was a basket that. case. I. W- I would. I would spout off to anybody that sat down in front of me, and um, that's one thing that near-death experiencers, I think, run across. Their family doesn't know what to do with them. Sometimes their friends don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Because when, when you experience something not of this realm, and you realize that there is so much more out there, um, h- how do you process that? And especially when you first come back, you know, um, even now, eight years later, there there are many, many times, Mel, that, that I truly, my heart is there, my soul is there, but I'm living here, and it's almost like I've got a foot in each realm, <clears throat> and that's difficult sometimes. It's very difficult. I imagine. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. But... Um, it it makes processing living your life sometimes it well, there are hindrances a, with that and it's heavy and that's what I, I had it's eight years a light gift it's it's sometimes a heavy gift oh yes I've 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 asked why many many times okay so why you <laughs> yeah why, why me take you. Because a year, about a year after my my accident, and I did share this with you yesterday, but I realized that I was being spoken to. I had started journaling. I had written. Now, mind you, when I wrote my book, I have never written anything before in my life. I couldn't even write in a diary when I was a kid because I couldn't stand to see my own thoughts looking back at me. That's how little I liked myself, okay? And I started writing to get this out because it was playing like an endless loop in my in my head. And finally, it was kind of driving me crazy, and I, I didn't have a choice. So my book kind of wrote itself, 
but I realized that I was being spoken to. And it scared me at first because the words that were coming out on the pages were not mine. And it took about three months of praying, of meditating, of of asking, why me? What is this? Where is it from? And finally, I drew the line and I said, I can't do this anymore. Where is this coming from? And it was three o'clock in the morning in my bedroom. And I said... Who is this that's talking to me? Tell me. And my whole bedroom seemed to just be filled with light. And I felt the same warmth. And I felt the same love. And I I felt the same connection that I had in my near-death experience. So I knew who was talking to me. I had been answered. And I've been listening ever since. Did these experiences um, get you to formalize your belief in God? That is, do you have a church that you go to? Are you active? I don't have a belief in God. It's a knowing. I don't have to believe in God. I know. I know with every ounce of my being. And because to me, believing or is kind of like a hoping in a way, I think. I don't know. We don't know. When you know something, you can't, you can't undo the knowing. Well, you don't have to believe. You're right. You don't have to believe in God. Uh, you know God. You were held by God. Yeah. But I'm wondering if, if do you, I don't want to call it proselytizing because you wouldn't do that, but do you talk to people about um, they have to try to know God like you did, like you do? Or do you leave them all alone? All I know and all I know the best that I can do is to share my own experience because I know what it's like to not love yourself. I know what it's like to live with self-hatred. I can see it in other people. I can't tell anybody what to do and everybody's got their own journey. I mean, every single one of us We all have our own journey and our own private relationship if we choose to have it with God. So I can't ever tell anybody what to do. The only thing I can ever do is share what's happened to me, share some of the lessons that I've learned. And I hope, just like anything else, like like when you speak to your congregation, you hope that maybe you've given them a tool that they can then take and use in their own life. Because, you know, you can give somebody a tool, you can tell them how, how to eat, even use it, but if they don't make the choice to do that, so, so no. But I have a store, and I, I know at one point I, I wanted to give up my store. I wanted to devote the rest of my life to service, because the first part of my life, I figured I was lost, in a sense, 
even though I had a good life. But I you wanted to repay the rest of my life for what I've been given. Others. And I find now, through this new little store that I've just had in the last three years, that the most fabulous people are directed to come through my doorway. And without even thinking about it or getting into any kind of uh, thing, I have the most fabulous conversations that just happen naturally. And I know, I can feel it. I know it is not my doing. It is all being guided and directed. And all I can do is choose to be the best that I can in that particular moment. And believe me, there have been some fabulous conversations in this store, not just about clothing and jewelry. Um, Because really, you're right. They don't. They only think they come to your store for clothing and jewelry. That's what they think. But they are driven there by some force in the universe that we call God because they're supposed to be driven to you. I, you, I, you I think it's happened that way many matter. times, just, just as my life has been driven in certain ways and, and to find certain people or to find certain places. So yes, you know, it's, and ultimately it's what we choose to do with each moment that we're in because I realize there are so many gifts in every single moment. We have a tendency to live from big moment to big moment and all the daily stuff and the little mundane stuff, a lot of times we just kind of muddle through. But when you really bring your focus to center and to God's center to experience what is in that moment of now, oh my God, I mean, my life, I have never had, I've never known such riches could even exist, and yet nothing in my outward life has changed. But my inward life, everything has become more beautiful because I've learned to live in the now. I've learned to make choices, always asking that I be guided to hopefully make the highest choice that I can for any given moment. And I screw up quite a lot. Oh, my God, I screw up quite a lot. But I have this wonderful life preserver around my soul now. And I don't beat myself up for it. I don't hate myself for it. I, I make my amends. I try to learn from my mistakes. And I try to turn around and say, okay, you know, I want to face in the right direction because we never know when we're going to be taken. I mean, good God, I, I was on my way home from Colorado Springs and I was trying to figure out what I was going to cook for dinner when I all of a sudden apparently decided to see how many times I could flip my husband's Tahoe. You know, so we never know when it's going to happen. Okay. So I don't think it's where we ultimately end up. I, I think it's where we're facing when we go. Well, That's the important part. You're not afraid part. because you've been there. Well, so I can't tell you. I mean, death. 
I can't tell you what it is like. That is just what was given to me. That was, that was what I was privy to experience. Now, you can talk to a hundred near-death experiencers, and I can tell you just about every single one is going to give you a different story. But the main thread throughout that story is usually the same. It is the unconditional love of creator, of source, of spirit, of God that is felt and that we have experienced. And that leads to um, love of others. If we choose it, it's always our choice. Some people come back from near-death experiences and, well, actually some people in the near-death experience itself, they're given a choice whether to stay or go back. And I found this out because over the past eight years, you know, obviously I've been looking into this to find out if I was nuts and, you know, finding other people that that this has happened to as well. So you kind of learn that there are these threads. Well, my choice came when when I came back and I was walking from one room to another and in a millisecond, in a millisecond, and this was... I don't know, a couple, couple of weeks after my accident, I was, I was still weak. I could still barely walk. I had to choose right then and there whether I believed everything that happened to me was real. In, in one form or another, it was real. Did I accept it and pull it into my heart? And if I did, my life would change forever. If I didn't, that would be fine. My life would go back to the way it was. Either way, I knew in that millisecond I would be loved unconditionally no matter what my choice was. But before I took that next step, before my left foot hit the ground, I had made the choice with my heart. And by the time I sat down on my computer, I sat there and all of a sudden I felt totally different. And I knew, I knew without a doubt that my life would be completely different, and it has been. God has not let me down. My life has been completely different. We only have about a minute left. So I want you to read what you wrote today. Well, I I prayed this morning, and as usual, I say the things that I want to say, but I asked God, I said, "What, what else might I say? And we were talking about grief. We were talking about loss. Um, This really doesn't have to do about near-death experiences as much as it does the loss of loved ones or the loss of, of things that are dear to you. But this is what was given to me this morning. When hearts are weary with, with the grief of loss, when tears shed, be mournful to the soul, I say this to you. Be at peace in this loss. Be at peace within you. Hard though it may be to lose that which by your side you have loved, loss is not there for you, nor has it ever been. You cannot lose that which you already are. Each is one, and each is a part of the all of what is. Tears shed can produce pain, or they can a garden grow with their wetness of love of life and who I am. Bless those that mourn, yet turn the hurt into joy with steadfast trust and prayer. Beyond you now are workings not at this time understood. 
Yet fear not, for those with me have come home, and in ways beyond knowing have lives that in this part of what is live on. Seek not to surrender your grief to the ugliness of the world. Turn your loss into a thing of joy, for lost not can you ever be, and lost not are they. Seek to find solace in my arms, and as asked, it shall be received. I can mend what breaks, I can heal what beyond any ills can cause harm. You, my love, you, my loved ones, are always home. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank you, Dee, for being my guest and being my new friend. And we will get together. Um, If people need you or want to talk to you, how can they do that? My website that I do have with my book, it's called While I Was Out. So it's whileiwasout.com. Or you can find my book also While I Was Out on Facebook. Um, or you okay. can look me up, Deirdre DeWitt Malpy, on Facebook. Okay. And one thing I, I have certainly enjoyed over the past eight years is, is just having great conversations with people. It's it's been amazing, and that's basically been been my reward. I think for being able to open up and share is is knowing that there's so many other people out there that like me feel like they've lost their way, and I think all we're trying to do is is help each other to find our way home again. Okay, Dee, we gotta go. Listen, thank you. Thank you, Mel. God I'm bless, and I'm so touch. honored you asked me to be thank on the you, show. Everybody thank everybody for you. listening. I'll see you next week. Good night. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.